Welcome to episode 333 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we're celebrating the 8th anniversary of Live Happy, which published its first magazine issue in October 2014. Joining me on this stroll down memory lane is Live Happy editor Chris Libby, and we're going to talk about eight important things that we've learned in eight years. To further join in this celebration, visit our Live Happy store and shop our anniversary sale. You can save 40% on graphic tees by using the code HBD8 at store.livehappy.com. And now, let's talk to Chris. Chris Libby, welcome back to Live Happy Now. Thanks for having me back. This is great. Well, this was the perfect time to have you back because we're not just celebrating any old October thing. This is our eighth anniversary. Yeah, it's really kind of remarkable. I remember when we first started with this thing, we were both here from the beginning and we had no idea, no idea what was ahead. (laughs) We didn't know what we were doing. No, (laughs) no, it was something that was so new and it was really exciting. And it's been fun to watch this grow through the years. And it's also been fun, I think, to watch each other grow because as we've covered these stories, you and I have both benefited from them. That's one of the great things about being in journalism, get to learn and grow because of the topics you cover. Absolutely. And, you know, in traditional journalism, sometimes you have to cover topics that aren't so pleasant. And I'm not saying that, you know, everything needs to be all happy and all the time, but it is a nice break. And to learn the things in life that make you happy and make that's great for your well-being and things that can help other people. And it's pretty gratifying knowing that what you're working on is actually helping people. Yeah. It really is. And so as you and I have been talking about this anniversary coming up, and first of all, fun fact, you actually are or the gateway drug that got me in to live happy because you are an editor there and you recommended me for a story and it evolved and ta-da. So I have you to thank for everything that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I remember it well. I needed two writers and editors and you popped in my mind first thing and they let me reach out to you. So it's been great. (laughs) And I'm glad it worked out that way. So what we thought we would do is talk about eight things that we've learned in the eight years. Now, we should say we did learn more than eight things. So these aren't (laughs) only eight things that we have learned. But we thought it would be fun to look at some of the the things that have really impacted us. And I'm going to put you on the spot and let you go first. And just tell me, what's your first thing that comes to mind that you've learned during our eight years? Sure. And this one's an easy one. It's the power of kindness. I think it's really popular right now. Random acts of kindness. Uh, Live Happy has done a lot of work by writing about acts of kindness, getting that information out to people. We've had acts of kindness campaigns that have been really successful over the years by bringing awareness to just being kind to each other. And so I wanted to bring that one up. I know it's an easy one, but it is... While it's easy to practice, we often, you know, we find ourselves we're not doing it as much as we need to because it's literally the thing that holds us together. These are just good deeds for others. It's putting others ahead of you. Kindness is also associated with character strengths like gratitude, leadership, love. And it just, you just make somebody else, you never know what somebody else is going through. So you just make their lives better. And you could be the one thing, the one small thing that turns it around for somebody who's having a horrible day. And that's a pretty good feeling because it not only makes them feel better, but you get a benefit from it too. And you receive as well. So what is your topic? My number one? 
Hey, your number one topic. This will come as no surprise to anyone who's tuned in to Live Happy Now ever. And and that would be gratitude. Because Mm. I've always, that's always been a strength of mine, which I didn't know we had character strengths until I started working with Live Happy. But I discovered that I was very high in gratitude and it explained a lot about circumstances in my life. But what that also enabled me to do is really use that and study how gratitude affects us. And fortunately, you know, Deb Heise, our founder and CEO, is also very, very big on gratitude and has really supported us doing a lot of work in that area. And so I've been able to write a lot about gratitude and the way that it changes us. And it's been really remarkable, I think, to see what it's done for other people and to understand that it changes us physically. It changes our brains. It changes everything about the way that we approach our day. And I really noticed that last year, going through the pandemic, going through the lockdown, and being able to do that instead of with a sense of desperation, being able to do so was really a sense of gratitude for the things that weren't taken away, for the things that we were still able to do, for the connections that we had with people and our ability to use technology in this time to stay connected. So for me, gratitude, understanding just how profound it is and what it can lead to, I think that's been my greatest discovery here. We have so much information on gratitude on our website, livehappy.com. So just, you know, go on there and Google it. I mean, just go through the search and you'll find many different ways that you can practice gratitude because it really yeah. is important. It's, I think it's the most important. I do too. And that's why that was my number one. But <laughs> so that gives us two, two things that we've learned. So what would you say is the third thing that we've learned? Well, this one is my favorite because I like to laugh and I like humor. So I've done a lot of stories, as have you, on laughter. Do you remember the first story you did with Live Happy? It was on laughter yoga. It was. And so I remember when coming up with that and when I was giving that over to you and I was thinking, I just stumbled across it. I think it was on, I saw a short thing on 60 Minutes about it or something. And so I you know, went deeper with that and found out that it's a thing. Laughter yoga is a thing. It's essentially you either laugh for real or fake because it's hard to just spontaneously laugh until you start, you know, fake it till you make it till you start really laughing out loud. And laughing and humor and playfulness and all of these things, they relieve, you know, the stress. They open up these feel good chemicals in our body, the reward centers in our brain and make us feel good. They uh, let us know that we're bonding with each other and that we are we're fighting off stress, which could lead to, you know, more serious issues down the road. It makes us more social and it's just fun. And so I always liked covering that topic because I use humor all the time. I just it's a great way to break down because I, you know, if I'm not using humor, then I find myself in these shy moments. And so it helps me with that too. So advice on how to find more humor in your life, just be more mindful and aware and look for more, look for the funny, they always say, or you can write down funny things you see throughout the day. You know, it is a practice because not everybody is just inherently funny. And some people think they're funny when they're not, but that's still okay. They're trying. (laughs) Well, And and to your point in the research about it there's a lot of evidence where people have used like funny movies watched funny movies to bring themselves out of not just emotional darkness but also physical problems 
where they've actually used that as part of their healing process to watch funny movies, to watch funny television shows. And it really is compelling to see that it doesn't just make you feel good for that time. It's something that has a lasting effect on you. Absolutely. Patch Adams is a perfect example. If you're familiar with that story, it was the doctor, the children's doctor who I believe he dressed as a clown or one of his goals was to make his patients laugh all the time and it made them feel better. What's next for you? This is something that when I first heard it, I was slightly skeptical about, and that is the power of micro moments, because Mm. we talk so much about the need for connection and we want deep connections in our lives. And Barbara Fredrickson's work, especially in Love 2.0, talked about micro moments. And the deeper you get into that research and then you start practicing it, you realize that those daily interactions that you have with people really do make a difference. That two minutes that you spend interacting with the person at the grocery store or whatever your situation is, it makes a big difference. Those micro moments really do help you feel connected. And I think that was important to me because I think we overlook the value of that. And so we might not take that time. That is part of it is recognizing that that time that you give to another person just for seconds sometimes is valuable. It's not only valuable to them, but it's valuable to you. And that's been really compelling for me. So that's what I loved. What about you? Let's go back to you now, Chris. All right. This next one I'm pretty familiar with because we did an an experiment, I guess, with the writers and editors at Live Happy that we would go through some kind of character strength process that we felt that we needed work on. And mine was resilience and grit. And what goes along with that is obviously goal setting. Going through that process, Caroline Miller was my coach throughout the thing throughout the whole process. And she taught me the benefits of resilience, which pretty much it's your ability to bounce back through adversity, to reach your goals, to find out what your obstacles are in life and to figure out a way around those obstacles so you can find more success and achievement in your life. So I really thought that was beneficial, especially for me, because I'd never been a real goal-oriented person like that. Wasn't really motivated that way. But once you figure out that the goals in your life, once you put meaning to those goals, you're more likely to succeed in reaching that goal. And so that's you building your resilience right there. You're finding a way to get there and it's meaningful for you. And then once you achieve it, then the reward is so much better. It makes you feel so much more accomplished, adds more meaning to your life. Those are just things that increase your happiness over time. And an added bonus, if you develop these skills and you can use them to help other people achieve their goals, now you're strengthening those bonds and which also makes you happier. So what's next for you? Oh my gosh. This was a great discovery for me because I have loved music since I was a child. And in my previous life, I was a music journalist. And my first book that I wrote was about music, the history of music. And so once I was working with Live Happy and started doing some diving into the research about what music does for us, I was thrilled to find out how good it is for our brains. And it's not just good for our brains, it's good for our bodies as well. And that made me, one, I started thinking about writing off concerts as a health expense, but my accountant would never let me do that. So <laughs> so I didn't, but it did. I was so excited to learn just how much the one thing that I truly enjoy most, how much that was doing for me. 
And it was so interesting to learn too that going to concerts or having a group setting where you're listening to music or singing, how much that brings everybody together. So here, you know, I thought it was just me being a, you know, music fan, but it's so much more. It's like, it's really changing your brain and it's doing amazing things for your nervous system. And it's also giving you the endorphins that you have from feeling part of something. It's giving you that sense of community if only for a couple of hours that you're spending it. So I was really, really excited to learn how much music does for us and how important it is in our happiness journey. So I listen to music every day anyway. And now it's like, ah, this is something I need to do for myself. It's Absolutely. I love all of our music stories, especially the ones that talk about the beats per minute and how that can have an effect. Mm -hmm. I know you've, you've done stories on that, I believe, and just the rhythm and, you know, where it really gets into your body and into your mind. It can help ease. even those things at a certain level can ease your anxiety. Yeah, it's interesting how you can really transform what you're feeling just by changing the music. So what an incredible gift. All you need is Spotify and a little knowledge of what you're looking for. There you go. So we agree on the music thing. So what's yours? I think this is your fourth one. We each got yep. four to go with. This is it. Yep. The big this one. Is... The big finale. <laughs> the grand finale. <laughs> and I've got nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, the happiness at work. I've done a lot of stories about this. I've was sent to conferences and all over the country to find out more about how, you know, listen to what different companies are doing and how you can make your employees happier and how employees can be happier at work. And it's such an interesting topic because this is where we spend a lot. I mean, it's our livelihood. It's where we spend a lot of our time. And a lot of people, I was surprised to find, I mean, I don't know if I was necessarily surprised, but a lot of people aren't happy at work. But if employers now we come into this new age where you know technology drives everything and so people are your employees are doing everything and if they're not happy that can really affect your business in a negative way to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars every year uh if your employees are sick uh well if they're not happy they're sick more often they're not engaged things aren't getting done but when you are happy at work and the employer can make it the environment a happier place productivity goes up, the mood goes up, the sales increase. I mean, just they've done study after study after study that it just really benefits the employee and the employer when you can make the workplace a happier place for everybody. People just perform better. They're more motivated. They get better raises. They get more recognition. You know, we just don't do things the way we used to anymore. So we have to adapt and figure out a way where everybody can. I know it sounds like kumbaya but where we can all be happier at work but i think because uh, you know, we, we all know i think we know that if we're happy at work we're going to do better but the trick is how to achieve that because even i know people who are bosses they really are trying to make it a good environment but it still work and people yeah don't always you know they're not always doing fun stuff they don't get to just sit here and talk like we do um, <laughs> but no i mean they have to do some hard things they have to deal with customers or clients who are unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that's such a difficult thing for everyone, not just the employee, but the employers too, to figure out how to find that happiness. Sure. Well, what employers can do is just provide tools like you do for wellness, but you can do it for well-being as well. Breaks are important. I know one of the conferences I attended was about mindfulness in the workplace and these giant companies like Google 
and McKinsey and SAP, they were all there and they were all trying to figure out ways and explaining how, telling their tale of how they were helping their employees and exchanging ideas. And it was great. And a lot of them, they set out these rooms for mindfulness to where somebody can go and decompress for 15 to 20 minutes. Autonomy is another big one. People don't they want to feel like they're in control of their work. They want to have more meaning. They want to believe in the mission. And that's a big one right now because an interesting thing about what's happening now with the pandemic is a lot of people have since the, for whatever reason, well, there's a multitude of reasons, but employees are now, they're like, I don't really have time to sit around in a job that I don't like and it's making me unhappy. Yeah, so that's made a huge change for the workplace. Yeah. And technology has made working more flexible, no longer is it nine to five. And so companies need to adapt and figure out a way. We're still in a pandemic. So you got to be flexible. You got to be understanding. But you're right. It's a two-way street. It's tricky. But the employer that makes a great working environment, that who is a not just a trainer, but a champion for their employee and a coach, almost like a coach mindset. You keep them motivated. You make sure that everybody believes in the cause and in the mission. And you have flexibility there. And those are all things that employers can do to make their workplaces happier. That's true. Because I know that when I look back on the best bosses that I've had, the ones I think most fondly of, they felt like supporters. They felt like cheerleaders in my corner who were really encouraging me to try new things. You can do this. You got this. So I think, yeah, that's very true. You have to feel like they're being supported. Absolutely. And now we've come to the end, the very last one. Is this your last one? This is the last one on the list. And this is one, it's been a bit of a journey for me because this is self-compassion. And Mm, of course, it is so important. And it's so hard (laughs) because being as kind to ourselves. And again, it ties back to your principle of kindness that you learned about. And even once we learn to be kind to others, we're not always very kind to ourselves. And I think that can be just the most challenging lesson for a lot of us to learn. I'm huge on beating myself up when, when I don't get it right the first time. And I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of people that are really good at getting in the ring with themselves and doing a knockout. And in looking at Kristen Neff's work, it's been really inspiring to learn from her the importance of self-compassion because it's not a weakness. It really does make you stronger. And to start learning her tools and practices for being able to treat yourself like you would a friend. And what has been really great is in this past year where she came out with the book on fierce self-compassion. So she explains that, you know, your regular self-compassion is kind of like a tender mother. Fierce self-compassion is like a mama bear. And to look at the two sides of that coin is fantastic because you do see how you can can really use that fierce self-compassion to take care of yourself, safeguard yourself, and also be tender with yourself. So I think that's something I struggle with every day is being as compassionate to myself as I would be to others. So I'd say that's one of the things that has really stayed with me will always stay with me and it's truly changed the way that I look at life. Yeah, that one's a, you know, it's important, but I understand why it's so difficult for a lot of people because we don't want to think of ourselves as like, oh, it's all about me. I'm a narcissist now. (laughs) Uh, But you just don't. And for parents too, and me as a parent, 
I can attest to this, that you do sacrifice everything for your kids and everything. And you put yourself in the backseat. And that's just not like you just think about you do that automatically. But you shouldn't, uh, you know, but it's being self-care isn't selfish. That's one thing that we always say. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important. And so like when you talked about kindness, one of the things about kindness, about how you treat people is you treat people how you want other people to treat your children. And you could say the same thing for yourself. You know, you can treat yourself how you would want other people to treat your children. And it goes, I think it goes both ways. Hopefully, as we stick around for at least another eight years, we'll be able to give people resources to put all these practices into play. So I'm glad you had some time to sit down and chat about this. And now I guess we're going to go eat anniversary cake. Is that next? Yeah. Oh, it's eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> it's been in the freezer, though. It'll be fine. Well, Chris, you have a wonderful day and welcome to our eighth anniversary month. Congratulations. All right. You take care. That was Live Happy editor Chris Libby talking with me about eight important things we've learned in eight years. To learn more about any of these topics, visit our website at livehappy.com. And while you're there, visit our Live Happy store and save 40% on graphic tees by using the code HBD8. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.